Lord, I pray um, for a deeper understanding of your love. Lord, I know that there's um, some people in the room who've probably even been walking with you for um, 10, 20, 30, 40 years. Um, Lord, but I know that if there's one thing that I know, it's just so easy to forget. God, it's so easy to forget your good and your marvelous deeds. Lord, it's so easy to forget about your salvation and your grace and your love and your mercy, Lord. And God, I pray that we wouldn't. Lord, I pray that the cross would be the center of our lives, Lord. And I don't just want to say that lightly. I don't just want to say, Lord, that it would be the center, Lord. But I want it to be true, Lord, that the cross of Jesus, that the love of God the Father that you did, Lord, you gave your one and only Son out of love. Speak to us, Lord. Let us not forget. Let us not forget your salvation, your grace, your mercy, your love. Speak to us now, Lord, in ways you've never spoken. Um, Lord, not me. This is so much not about me and so much about you. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, good morning again. Thank you, everyone, um, for being here. Um, My name is Pete Finfrock. For those of you who do not know me, I am not the pastor of Grace Point Church for visitors And you should be grateful for that. Mike does a wonderful job. Mike is actually on his way to Mali. He was supposed to leave yesterday due to the weather all across the country. His flights got canceled. I have no idea where he's at right now. I tried calling him this morning to see if they got out. Um, Maybe he's there. Maybe he's here. I have no idea. So be praying for them. Uh, Mike is in Mali with, I believe it's five other guys who have never been. So he has his hands full. Uh, but it, it's going to be a great trip. Pray for them. Lift them up. Um, as, as I was preparing for today and uh, just thinking, you know, of, of 2009, for those of you who don't know, this is the last Sunday of 2009. We are about to step into 2010. I was just thinking and, and praying and preparing. I was saying, Lord, what, what do the people need to hear? What do I need to hear? Because I, I definitely don't want to speak on my own terms, but at the same time, I believe that you have something for us. Um, I actually had a, another sermon prepared uh, and just kind of at the end put it on the back burner. didn't feel like that's what the Lord um, wanted us. So again, I'm thinking about 2009. I'm thinking about everything that Grace Point has been a part of. We've been um, a part of a ton of outreaches. Um, we've had amazing events here. God has changed people's lives in big, uh, big ways. The church has grown. Um, some people have come. Some, some people have left. But my question kind of through all of this is I was going, why, why do we do this? Um, why do we do church every Sunday? Why do we do events? Why do we do outreaches? Um, and then, like, it just kind of began to snowball into sort of this bigger thing. I began to think, why are we Christians? I began to think... You know, why, why do we do this? I mean, there's churches all across America, all across the world that are meeting right now. And just it began to kind of snowball into this big thing. I was going, why, why am I here? Why is Pete Finfrock at Grace Point Church? Why are you guys sitting here today? Um, what, is, what is the central message to Christianity? That was kind of, I mean, just everything that was just going around in my mind. And I was going, why do we do all this? And, and I thought, 
the very last message that needs to be spoken at, at Grace Point Church needs to be the message of Jesus Christ. It needs to be the message of the cross. That's why we're here, because of God's grace of, and because of his love, because of his love of sending his son. It's just like those songs that we just sang. They're not just words. They're true, that God loves us so much. If you're here and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I want you to know that he loves you. It's not just it's not just words that we're singing. It's not just things that we talk about. He really does love you. Um, and so I thought, man, how, how do we need to do this? And, and I thought the best way to go about, you know, there's a lot of people who debate Scripture. They do. They go, man, is this true? There's a lot of atheists. There's a lot of people who don't even believe the Bible's true. And, and I'll tell you, though, there's one thing, um, in, in my opinion, that's not debatable, and that's a living testimony of who God is and what Jesus Christ did in somebody's life. And so that's, that's what I want to do. Uh, I want to share um, my story with you guys today. Um, as I was coming up here and I was praying, I was like, Lord, don't let us forget and, uh, you know, what you've done. Because in my life, that's part of my testimony is it's so easy to forget um, God's grace and his love. Um, and, and that has really been recalled for me over the last week as I was just kind of looking back at my life. And I was thinking, you know, where have I come from? What, what has God done in my life? Um, and, and so I just want to share that with you today. Um, everybody here, anyone here who knows me, and, unless somebody snuck in that, that I don't see, you've known me for um, the last three years. And uh, I've only been a Christian for about four and a half years. So um, probably no one here knows my life before I was a follower of Jesus Christ. Um, it's been a very long road. And again, it's, it's one of those roads that I um, kind of forgot about. And it's, it's been recalled. And so I, I'm praying that I make it through this with just, without being a total wreck. If I do, sit there and act like you feel sorry for me. That will make me feel good. Um, I have, uh, just real fast, I want to kind of point out my family. Raise your hands. Mom, dad, brother. I have a twin, identical twin brother for anybody who's been confused going, what is going on here? Uh, sister Rebecca, and then, of course, my beautiful wife, Emily, who's here. Uh, a lot of the, th- if you know me very well at all, a lot of the things that I'm going to tell you, you're probably going to think that I'm lying to you about. Um, I've come a long way in a short time, and it's not because of me. I want everybody to know that. Where I'm at right now has nothing to do with Pete Finfrock, and it has everything to do with Jesus Christ. Okay? Amen. Somebody say amen to that, because that should ring true in everybody's life if you're a follower of Jesus. You are where you are because of Jesus Christ and the cross. Um, so just real fast, my dad is, um, he is a pastor, has been a pastor for many years. I don't know, a long time. He's getting kind of old too. Um, so he was, he was a pastor at First Baptist Church in Gentry, Arkansas, right down the road. People all the time are coming up to me, tell me about your dad. I have no idea who they are. They're talking to me about him. Um, so uh, that's kind of where, where I grew up and where life began for me was in Gentry, Arkansas. Really, the big city over there, you know, most of you guys probably know it as Rentry. Um, but anyways, we, uh, I grew up there and kind of began doing the church thing. Um, every time the doors were open, I was at church, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday, all that, um, all that stuff. And it was great. And just to tell you a little bit about my family, um, it, it was never like the religion thing. And, and what I mean by that is it was never, we didn't just go to church to go to church. My dad wasn't a pastor just because that's what he needed to do. Um, I, I truly believe that it was all about a relationship, excuse me, with Jesus Christ. Um, it was true. It was authentic. It was real faith. 
And, and that played a huge part um, later on in my life rather than earlier. Just at a young age, I didn't really understand everything that went on, even as much as it was talked to me about, as much as it was shown. Uh, a lot of it didn't make sense to me. I didn't uh, understand a lot about what happened. Um, at the age of probably six or seven, I'm not real sure, this shows how insignificant it was in my life. I remember I was sitting in church. Um, we had this thing, this program called Awanas, and this lady spoke to me, and she said, she presented the gospel in this really cool way. She said, when you die, do you want to go to heaven where Jesus is, or do you want to go to hell where Satan is? And I remember going, just as a young kid, I thought, man, I, I think going to heaven where Jesus is, that sounds pretty good. Like, I'd rather do that when I die. So, so I raised my hand and I said, I would rather go to heaven um, where Jesus is when I die. And so at that point, I got saved. Anybody familiar with that? That's a story of a lot of people that I know who grew up in church. Do you want to go to heaven where Jesus is when you die? Do you want to go to hell where Satan is? And so I made this decision, I prayed this prayer, I did this thing at a young age, um, and from that point on, there was no significant change. There was nothing in my heart, there was nothing in my life that changed because my heart wasn't changed. Um, And and honestly, from that point on, you could actually begin to see a decline in my life rather than an incline. Um, At, um, I would say that I was a very curious kid, and and having an identical twin brother, there were... uh, there were some perks to that. I, <laughs> there were some things that I didn't think of that he could think of. There were some things that he couldn't think of that I could think of, and so we were just crazy. I mean, we were like kind of known as Double Trouble was kind of our nickname. Uh, we just ran around, and we were curious. You know you have a twin brother. It's, it's, it's a wild little deal having a, having a twin brother. Um, but through that, um, we, we just were curious, and, and all the things that you were told not to do when you were a kid, they kind of appealed to us. We're like, we're told not to do that, but let's do it anyways. Let's just check it out. So um, at a young age, at about fourth grade is when I began um, to experiment with tobacco products. I began to smoke cigarettes, began to dip snuff, and we would just kind of uh, had some friends whose parents had cigarettes, and they would dip, and they'd do all that stuff. And so uh, we would just kind of sneak around and, um, you know, experiment with that stuff. In fifth grade is when I began to experiment with uh, with alcohol. We would stay the night at friend's house um, whose parents were big-time drinkers. And I, looking back on it, I go, man, they must have been undercover because I, I'm, I'm 100% sure my parents wouldn't let us stay the night with, um, with people who were alcoholics or whatever. But that kind of bega- became the thing for us. Every time we would stay the night with, some, with someone, we would um, just begin kind of experimenting. It definitely wasn't a habit. It was just kind of a fun thing that you do when you're a kid. Um, as as time went on, um, by about eighth grade, what was a little fun experimental thing sort of started to take form into my life. Um, if there was one good one thing that I was really good at, it was um, hiding or keeping things away from my parents. I was really good at covering things up. I could hide it. I could, you know, whatever it took, I would do it. Um, so. Whether it was chewing gum, whether it was spraying on the cologne, you know, doing all that, I just I was hiding everything. So the, these small little um, little experimental times, they began to take a small little root in my life. To where by the time I'm in eighth grade, um, I'm a full time dipper, I'm a full time smoker, and I'm drinking as as much as I can, um, just kind of kind of here and there. Uh, on the drinking part, but just as much as I can get my hands on it, I'm doing it. In ninth grade is when I began um, experimenting with smoking pot. 
that was just, you know, in high school, you kind of get in there. Oh, at this time, we moved down to Texas, kind of around 7th or 8th grade, so, which is where my family lives now, about an hour and a half west of, um, of Fort Worth. And so we're there, find the wrong friends. Uh, I, I would say that the enemy had, the devil, would had a little part of that, of bringing people into our lives who... Uh, you know, who knew what we wanted and what, what we needed to be around to really destroy our lives. So um, drugs kind of, that was the first step was smoking pot. Um, sports also began to become a pretty big part of my life. Played on just an amazing basketball team, kind of with the same people all the way through high school. Um, but as, as high school kind of continued on, drugs, tobacco, partying, girls, all that stuff, it became not just an experimental thing where it was you know, when I was in fourth or fifth grade. It became really my identity. It became who I was. It became um, it, Pete Finfrock was found definitely not in Jesus, definitely not in church, but definitely in drugs, partying, girls, you name it. That was my lifestyle. Um, fast forward to my senior year in high school. We are playing um, at a very high level um, of basketball that we're predicted to win state, have this um, crazy good team. We're in the uh, regional semifinals playing at Texas Tech University. And me being the smart guy I am, along with four other guys on our team, uh, we decide to smoke pot and also um, take some liquor with us on the trip. We wind up getting caught and we get kicked out of school and get put in a program called AEP, which is Alternative Education Program. Um, that was sort of when things began to go the wrong way. Um, but also at the same time, it was like, oh, we got caught, we got busted. We'll serve our time and we'll get done with it. We wound up getting out of uh, AEP about a week before our high school graduation. They told us, they said, listen, if it had been a week longer, you wouldn't have graduated high school and you'd have been doing it all over again. So what? That, that, was kind of, that was just kind of our attitude. So what, man? We got busted. Who cares? We're just going to keep doing our thing. Um, we, at, at that point, we graduate high school and decide to um, move to, to Waco, Texas. And because that's what you do, right? When you graduate high school, you're supposed to go to college because that's what, that's what everybody does. Um, I hated school. Had, that was the last thing that I needed to do was go off to college because I couldn't give a rip less about school. At that point is when my life began to really get out of control um, in, in some big ways. I began to um, experiment with harder drugs, um, cocaine, crystal meth, I mean, you name it, you know, ecstasy. That was just kind of the thing. We were, or I was um, filling my body full of as many drugs as I could, as many, um, just anything I could get my hands on. Uh, I was putting into my body. It, it had really moved past the experimental, uh, just kind of, you know, that's what you do when you're that age to where it, it was really, uh, it was me. Like it, I was forming these big, deep, bad habits in my life. And, and just to tell you the whole time, my parents are sitting there watching this with broken hearts, praying, praying, praying. If there is one thing that I saw through through my entire life of just, really destroying my body, destroying my life. It was parents on their knees praying, um, praying for my salvation. And, and I'll talk about that um, just a little bit more here in a little bit. By the time I'm 19 years old, I had um, three minor in possessions of alcohol, uh, just run in after run in after run in with the cops. They're telling me, they said, if you get one more, you're going to go to jail for a while. I'd been evicted out of 
three apartments, um, two of them because they thought I was selling drugs, and, and I wasn't. My roommate was, but um, just, I mean, it was that lifestyle. And I know a lot of people, have, you've heard stories about that, but it's just, I mean, it's, just, it's almost like a hurricane of just madness and sin and craziness. And that, that's just really the, the best way that I can describe it is you're just lost. In, lost in sin, dead in sin, um, and, and I, I didn't even know what to do. I didn't care. I mean, that was, that was my lifestyle. Um, after getting kicked out of my last apartment, um, I, I was basically going to be out on the streets. I had no money. I had blown it all on, on drugs, on whatever I could get my hands on. Um, my parents, out of their, their love and, and grace... They said, you can move back in with us only because if we don't let you, you're going to be out on the streets and you're going to be homeless. I mean, that's, that's where my life had gone. We were at, uh, I was at rock bottom. Um, at that point, I'm like, man, I've got to, I've just got to straighten my life out. I've got to figure things out. I said, I'm moving up to Arkansas. I'm going to move back. I had family who was living up here, and I thought, if I just start over, if I get away from friends, if I get away from family, everything is going to, everything's going to be all right. Uh, so that's what I did. Um, I got a job for just a little bit, made some money to where I could afford to move back um, up to Arkansas, and and here I am. So that's at about uh, at, at 20 years old. Uh, I, I moved back up to Arkansas, and I'm like, I'm starting over. Even uh, on my drive up, um, I had um, lots of drugs on me. I wound up throwing them out the window. I'm like, man, I'm just done. I, I, I can I can do this. You're you're good enough to do this, and. Uh, I, I was very wrong. I, I can't do anything on my own. I'm just a weak, weak man, um, like I, I would say that we all are. So um, as, as soon as I moved back up here, um, just more and more people who have the same problems, the same um, everything, came back into my life. And um, I just wound up taking a nosedive to where... Um, the, the drugs and the alcohol totally consumed my life. I came to a place where by the time that I was 22 years old, um, I was drinking uh, between six and seven nights out of the week. Um, people have asked me, you think you're an alcoholic? And I said, man, I, I don't know. I know that I was drinking six or seven nights out of the week, um, and about five of those nights was by myself. All, all during the week I would get off work and I would just come home and I would, just, I would drink myself. I would take pills. I would, anything I could get my hands on, I was just just forcing them in my body. It's almost like I couldn't live if I, if I didn't have that stuff. Um, about the, and I'm living in Salem Springs at that time. I have a house with, with two other guys um, who even to this day are still good friends of mine. And um, I, I was in a relationship with a girl for about a year, year and a half, wound up um, breaking up with her, and it was just kind of through that whole thing. I thought, man, what am I doing? It, I don't... I, at that time, I didn't think it was like anything spiritual, any like awakening or anything like that. I just thought, man, what are you doing? Look at your life. Look at look at the mess behind you. Your relationship with your parents is screwed up. The only thing you have to show is is for your life is beer cans and pill bottles and and you name just I mean just this trail of a mess of a life. Um, about that time, my roommate, who is not a believer comes to me and he's like, hey man, he said, you want to go to church? And I was like, you know, I kind of looked at him like, why would I want to go to church? Is it the last time I've been to church? Outside of when I would go home to see my parents, um, you know, I'd kind of do that to make my dad happy, show up to church. But my last time to go to church on my own before that had been years. I mean, years and years and years. And um, I said, why would we go to church? 
And I'll never forget this. He said, man, maybe if we go to church, we'll find a girl who can, like, straighten up our lives for us. And I was like, man, I like the way you think. Let's go to church. And uh, so, so we wind up going to church. And it, it was actually, actually a church just right down the road from here. And we go. And little did I know that um, uh, it would really be kind of the turning point in my life. Uh, we go, we wind up going to church, and um, I, I don't even really know if I know how to explain what happened outside of, I, I just remember sitting there, and it, for the first time in my life, and I kind of explained this to you guys earlier of this, um, it, it, the world that I was living in was, I mean, it was like a hurricane of just mess. It was madness. There was no clarity. It was all clutter. It was all just craziness. Um, I felt like I could barely see, like I could barely move. I'm just like, oh, God, man, what do I do? And I remember just being at church, and, and ju- it's like everything just stopped. And I, fe- I just felt like I could breathe, like there was, there was something more, there was something. And, you know, man, I grew up in church, and my dad's a pastor. I knew, I knew the Bible answers. I knew all that stuff, but I didn't know anything that was real. I didn't know anything that was true. It was just, it was, it was stories and fables and just all this stuff. And uh, so I, I just remember just sitting there and being like, man, and, and, and God just started speaking to me. He's just like, I love you. I love you. I can forgive you. I can, and, and I don't even remember what the guy spoke on that Sunday. I don't even think he was preaching the gospel, but I just, I don't know if it was just being in that environment. I don't know if it was just, it was God's timing, you name it. But I just remember there was that, that peace in my life. And I go, man, what? And I had, I had no idea. I was like, what is going on here? Um, I, I leave church that day and wind up going home. And um, I, for the next two weeks, I couldn't sleep. I was just, I mean, there was this something that was going on in my heart. There was this something that was going on in my life, and it's just pulling me. And, it's, and, and I'm, I'm going, man, what is going on? And so um, I wound up turning to the only person that I knew to turn to, and that was my dad. Um, I had zero Christian friends. I mean, I, I couldn't have I told you a Christian if you'd asked me. If you'd hear, man, I'd give you a million dollars to tell me a Christian. I'd been like, dude, my dad, my dad was like, and my family were the only people that I knew. Um, and so I call my dad, and I'm like, man, I don't know what's going on. I went to church. You know, and, and let me just preface this before I go too far. It, it wasn't church. It wasn't because I was in church. I mean, maybe I was in the right environment, but it, it had nothing to do with church, and it had everything to do with Jesus. Um, so uh, I just I called my dad and I said, Dad, I said, man, here's what's going on, and I'll, man, I'll never forget this either. He said, he said, Pete, there is a war for your soul right now. He said, the devil is scared to death of of what would happen if you give your life to Jesus Christ, and I, it just it made sense to me just that because I couldn't sleep and there's that tension and that pull and I'm just going. I don't know what to do, and I'm, I'm evaluating my life, and I'm looking at it, and I go, every person that I know, every per- like the entire world that my life is built on is built on drugs, girls, parties, all that stuff. And if I leave that, if, if that gets taken away from me, I have absolutely nothing. I mean, re- that's, that's where my life was. It's like, you, you, and I'm sitting there going, man, what do I do? This, like, this is pretty easy to decide. Um, so through that two weeks, I'm just like kind of evaluating and... Um, uh, maybe I was praying, I don't even remember, but I was just like, man, I've, I've got to do something. And towards the end of those two weeks, I just going, I just remember thinking, that peace that I had when I was sitting in church that day, 
that that life that I, I remember. And there's a song out by Casting Crowns that came out not too long ago, and it's like the voice of truth. Um, and I just when I, I remember when I heard that song, it was just like that is it. The, it's the voice of truth. I remember hearing that the voice of God, and it separated. It moved everything else away. Everything that wasn't built on the foundation of God, it moved it away. And it was, it was real, it was pure, it was true. And I said, man, that's what I want. Whatever it takes to get peace, whatever it takes to, to be forgiven of all this junk that I had done. And so um, after that two weeks, I was like, man, I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm going back to church. Like, I've got, I've got to figure this out more. I want to know more. I want to know more about Jesus. And uh, so I wound up going back to church that next Sunday, I remember, and uh, actually sitting close to the same place that I was the first time. And, and I just remember going, God, I... I don't know, like I, I've heard stories, I've heard, um, you know, my dad speak, I've heard this and I, I know all that and whatever, but Lord, I just, I want, I want that peace. And if it's through your son, Jesus, Lord, then, then I say yes, I say yes to Jesus. Um, and, and man, I just remember, and I've, many of you guys have probably heard this for a long time, or heard many people say this, but it was so true. I remember this weight, this burden of sin and of just condemnation and all this stuff just being lifted off me and me being like, oh, my gosh. Thank you, Jesus. Like this, like salvation is real. It's not just this. It's not just this story that's, that people talk about in the Bible. And, man, I remember Jesus saved me like he really did, not just this um, you know, not just this story, like he, he gave me a new life. And, and I, you know, right after that, I go, man, now, now what do I do? Um, usually every, every Sunday, we would have people over to our house. We'd always cook out and we'd always drink and just kind of, you know, the last thing for the weekend. Um, so I'm riding home that day just, you know, I, I had no words to describe what I was talking about. I mean, I, I honestly, I didn't even know what had really gone on other than like I got saved or I, I said yes to Jesus and I'm going, man, what am I going to tell people? I, like, I don't even know what I'm going to say. And knowing that I'm going to my house where all these people are and we're going to start drinking and they're going to start cooking and doing all that. Um, and, and I just remember, like, I'm going to tell them. I, I don't know what I'm going to say, but I'm going to say something. And I'm going to tell them, like, kind of what happened. So we, we come up to my house and uh, I just remember walking in and everybody's there. And, I mean, these are my closest friends, the guys who are just really my life and everything. And I... I just remember looking at them, guys, looking at them and going, guys, I need to talk with you. I said, I don't really know what happened today. I said, but uh, I, I gave my life to Jesus. I got saved. I don't know what that means. Um, and I'm done. Like, I'm done drinking. I'm done partying. I'm done doing all this stuff. And I just remember the, the laughs that kind of came and the jokes. And people were like, man, church is a cult. You know, and they're, they're just saying all this stuff. And I go, man, I don't care what you say. A lot of, uh, I remember at least two guys were saying, Dude, this is a weak thing. Next weekend, you're going to be back at it, you know, whatever. And I said, no, I'm not, dude. I said, I don't know what happened, but it was real and it was true. Um, and from that point on, for about six months, um, I pretty much sat in my room of this house while parties and, I mean, drugs, alcohol, you just, I mean, crazy. And this house was just so nuts that it would go on. And I just remember going, Lord, I don't, like, I don't know what I'm doing. I, I didn't have any Christian friends. I said, but I know what you did was real. And I just, I would sit in that room um, and I would pray. I mean, that's, you know, what are you doing to get saved? I had no idea. Read your Bible, pray, 
do all that stuff. And so I just I started praying. I said, Lord, I want you to save my friends. Lord, save my friends. Lord, um, whatever you did for me, I want you to do for them. And um, about six months after that, I wound up um, leading my one of my best friends to the Lord at that time. And uh, even to this day, this guy is over in, in Salem Springs, and he's just tearing it up for Christ. I mean, he the same thing that happened with me. Like, you're just this crazy druggy idiot and all of a sudden jesus like rescues you and pulls you out of the pit and um and saved us and and it was real it took root and this guy was at my house the other day in fact some people from the church were over at my house when this guy was here and he just began telling a story about about jesus and how he changed my life now he changed his life and i just go man i don't want to forget i don't want to go through the rest of my life because this week I, i just began recalling everything and i go man I keep forgetting what Jesus did for me because I feel like a different person. Like who Pete Finfrock was four and a half years ago and who I am now, they're totally different people. Like they really are. But if I didn't take time to stop and think about it, man, I'd just keep forgetting. Um, Man, my life since um, Jesus Christ saved me has been... It's been a very, very fast trip. I mean, he's just... I feel like he's just kind of streaming me along to the point, um, man, I, I dropped out of school. I kind of got back into school, got um, a godly education, some biblical training. Um, the Lord really restored um, a lot of relationships with my family. Um, even with, uh, I, I wound up, all my friends, I was just like, man, I, I can't do this anymore. I'm, I'm done with you guys. I've got to do my own thing. The Lord has brought some of those relationships back together um, to where I can tell them, and they're seeing uh, what God has done in my life. And it's it's some things are starting to click, and so I just pray for them. Um, real fast, if you have your Bible, uh, will you open it to First Timothy? Um, gosh, you know what? There's probably not a lot of people in here who have a story like mine. Um, I've talked with a lot of people in our church, and that a lot of people don't kind of come from where I am. Uh, or from where I came from. And so as, as I was looking through the Word, I was just, Lord, what, what Scripture really just kind of sums up what you've done in my life, what, what you can do for other people's lives. Uh, and that is found, First uh, Timothy uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 12. This is Paul speaking, who, and most of you probably know this, but if you don't, Paul is believed by many to be the greatest believer the greatest christian of all time and this is this part right here is paul's testimony in just in just a few words and i, I want to compare it a little bit with where i was and but just also tell you this is who um this is who god is this is who jesus is. He says in verse 12 i thank christ jesus our lord who has given me strength that he considered me faithful appointing me to his service um if you're if you have your bulletin just on the back real fast, there's, there's two big misconceptions about coming to Christ that I want to um, clear up for people who just really aren't sure what, what it means. There's a lot of ideas, a lot of preconceived ideas that, that people have about coming to Jesus and about grace and salvation. And here's and, uh, verse 13. Even though I, Paul, was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The, one of the biggest misconceptions, and I see this, uh, there are so many people that I talk to who have this, is that you have to have your life in order to come to Jesus Christ. 
that, man, many of you guys heard me speak um, I, is maybe a, a month or two ago. I can't even remember. Um, but I was telling a story about this guy who I ran into and started a relationship with who um, had been busted by the DEA for selling coke and just had gotten out. And this is, a lot of you have asked, and thank you for asking. I pray that you would uh, keep praying for this guy. He, um, this is what he keeps running into. He said, Pete, I'm not good enough. Look at my life. My life is so jacked up. My life is so out of order. Like, why would, and it's kind of just like as Jared was saying, is we have this idea that our lives aren't good enough, that we aren't good enough to come to Jesus. And the truth is, like, we aren't. We aren't good enough to come to Jesus. Our lives are out of order. But man, Paul, the the greatest believer to ever live, is a testimony of you don't have to have your life in order to come to Jesus. Paul was on his way to kill Christians. Like, that's where he was going. He was on a road on his way to kill believers, and Jesus saved him. And he cleaned his life up. Paul couldn't do it on his own, but Jesus could. Keep reading down to verse 14. Um, The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that uh, that are in Christ Jesus. The second, and that's the second misconception that a lot of people have about coming to Jesus, is that you can earn salvation. Another this guy who that I built a relationship with, who just gotten out of prison, he goes, "Man, I just I keep doing all the right things. I think I think that I'm doing good enough. I think, you know, all this stuff." And I go, "Dude, you're not. There is nothing that you can do. We cannot earn salvation." We can't earn it. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And what? This is not of yourselves. It's a gift from God. Grace and faith both come from Jesus. They, or the, excuse me, they both come from God. We can, we can try. We can be good. We can do all this stuff. But man, it is, salvation totally comes from grace. I tell you, one of the biggest things when I look at other religions in the world, they go, at the end of, most of them say at the end of your life, your life's going to be put on a scale. And the amount of good things that you do, if it outweighs the bad, you're going to go to heaven. I go, man, that's like, that's living a life of fear to God. Because those people, they go, man, I just, I'm going to go my whole life. I'm going to try to do enough. I'm going to try to do enough. And I hope, I hope, I hope. And I hope God doesn't strike me down. And I go, man, Christianity says it's not what we do for God. It's what he does for us. I go, thank you, man. I will, I will, I love that. Jumping down to verse 15. And this is where I kind of want to end. Verse 15, here is a trustworthy saying. That deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. The last blank is there's one solid truth. Christ came into the world to save sinners. Like that's why he came. Christ Jesus came into the world to save people whose lives were just totally, totally jacked up. And, man, that's the story of my life. I don't know, man, I don't know where everybody's at. I, I, you know, I see a lot of familiar faces, and I see a lot of people who have, have, who have been in church, who have, um, you know, you've, you've probably grown up in church or whatever. But I go, man, church Church isn't good enough. Praying a prayer is not what it's about. It's not about coming to the front and making, making this decision. It's about your heart and your life being changed by Jesus Christ. You cannot earn salvation. You will never be good enough. Your life does not have to be in order 
for Jesus Christ to save you. That's what he does. He cleans up wrecked lives. That's, that is the, man, that's the story of my life. It is Jesus Christ came and took this mess. That, I mean, that was me, man. Covered in sin, filthy, piece of junk. Man, and he saved me and he cleaned me up. Again, I don't know where you're at. Um, but we're going we're gonna to do something right now where um, it, it, you call it altar call, you can call it whatever you want. But man, if, if you're here and you don't know who Jesus Christ is, if you don't know what grace is, if you don't know about salvation, but there's something you're going, man, I, maybe something resonated or something um, really hit home with you. I, I'm going to be sitting over there. I'm not going to be standing down here. But if you want to talk, please come talk to me. Man, Jesus loves you. No matter where you're at, no matter... Even for those of you who are saved, you go, Man, look at my life. My life's jacked up. We think, oh, Man, let me just let me just kind of figure it out. Let me, let me get things in order. Let me be okay. And it's like, No, man, that's what Jesus does. Jesus will straighten your life out. Jesus will... His grace and mercy truly is enough. Um, we're not just singing one song right now. We're going to sing several songs. And... If um, kind of the attitude that I'm going into this is I'm just going to worship Him, man. I'm going to worship Jesus because of His grace and salvation. We're not going to sing three verses and then be done. We're going to sing three, you know, however many songs Jared wants to sing. So I just encourage you, man, if, if, if you need Jesus, man, you can talk to me. You don't have to talk to anybody. Just call out His name. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Don't, don't let this opportunity pass. Be, man, be grateful. Remember, if, if nothing, if you've been saved and you're like, man, I'm going to heaven when I die and the Lord has given me peace, then worship Jesus. Like, remember where he brought you from. Even some people don't have a testimony like me. Some people say, man, I was a liar. Like, that's what I did. That was my one sin that I committed. I kind of lied one time. Man, you were hopeless. You had no hope before Jesus. Your, your, your end, your destination was hell but because God loved you and he sent his son he saved you remember that and worship him because he's worthy he really is Lord I don't I do not take lightly that you sent your son God and I pray that we would Lord even if any, if nothing made sense if it was just a story about some crazy little kid you know, who, who used to be a drug and a drunk, Lord, I don't want it to be any of that. I want it to be a story of your grace and your love and your salvation, Lord. Remind us of your love, a deeper understanding, Lord, that we can really worship you. 